Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, and on this episode of Better Off, Joe Saul Sehai of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Everybody's stressed out about money, right? We don't want to talk about it. We think if we don't talk about it, the stress will somehow magically go away. And you and I know, Jill, that if you talk about it more and if we're open, everybody's making the same dumb mistakes. And nobody wants to talk about the mistakes they're making. And when we do, that's when I think you open up and the mistakes start to go away. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Today, I'm very excited to bring to you a podcasting rival, but really a podcasting friend. Joel Saul Sehai is the host of Stacking Benjamins, which is kind of like the Better Off podcast, the same focus, slightly different audience, and of course, very different personality. But we became friends through the airwaves. He has had me on the Stacking Benjamins podcast, and I knew I had to return the favor so Joe and I can kibitz about what's going on in the industry and why we love what we do. Here's Joe Saul Sehai. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. All right, it's time for the interview portion of the Better Off podcast and a special guest today, Joe Saul Dash Sehai. Yeah, I don't say it that way, though. You I say like it differently it. than I do. Yeah. Joe Saul Sehai is the host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, which is a fabulous podcast. And uh, basically, we became friends because you stalked me. I, I totally did. How did that happen? Well, so you're my running buddy. I t- I've told you this before. Yeah. I go on runs, and and I like I like some financial podcasts, but there's one radio show called Jill on Money. Have you heard of that one? Oh yeah. Yeah, really, really great host. So so I would take Jill running with me. So then I thought we have this awesome year-end episode every year where somebody recaps what happened the last 12 months. I'm like, oh my God, if I could get Jill Schlesinger on my show, that would be so awesome. And what happened? You asked and I said? I asked and you didn't reply for like three weeks. That's because I never checked that email address. And I had kind of given up. I was like, Jill's not coming. There's no way. And then I think then I started stalking you on Twitter. And then you, I don't give up, Jill. I love that. And, And so finally, finally you answered. You said, oh, answer me over here. And I answered you over there, and then you came on my show, and it was fantastic. And you came back again this yeah. uh, this winter. And it's very and it's exciting. fantastic. I love it. Okay, so before we get into you and what your whole spiel is. Okay. Uh, do I have we, one? You do, absolutely. Um, here's my question. What's the best money decision you have made? Best money decision that I made. You know what's funny? I, I heard from someone who was very wealthy back when I was first becoming a financial planner. I was a financial planner for 16 years. And this very wealthy man and I were talking about making decisions. And I told him, I thought life was about making better money decisions. He said, that's not it at all. It's finding that one money decision and replicating it by automating it. So once you realize that you've done something really cool, then set up a process to do it again and again and again, and you never think about it again. So my my best money decision was when I finally, and this is a stupid thing, I was horrible with money, Jill. I was rotten. And, Listen, uh, I know doctors who smoke. So. Yeah, right, right, right. When I first did direct deposit to a savings account instead of a checking account. So once I realized that the amount of money that I made did not need to be the same amount of money that I spent. I mean, that doesn't sound like rocket science, right? 
And so I took my money and I put it in a savings account and then I took my budget and just had it, the bank automatically move over the money from savings to checking that I needed to live. Mm-hmm. Money started then accumulating in savings mm-hmm. and all of a sudden Joe became a saver. All was, right. Yeah, how about that? I love that. So you said you're a former financial advisor or maybe yes. a recovering one. Right, right. What kind of advisor were you? I was uh, I was a uh, fee based advisor, right. so it was fees and commissions. Okay, uh, so I was that middle guy mm-hmm. where I had to tell people, and there's as you know, there's a lot of scuttlebutt. Is that the word? Is that that's what my grandma says? Scuttlebutt. There's a lot of scuttlebutt in the industry about these people that are sometimes fiduciary, sometimes not. So I had to be very clear when I was a fiduciary. And when I wasn't. And so then you were um, on WXYZ, which is fabulous. Channel 7. Yeah. uh, Not a CBS affiliate, unfortunately. No. Uh, You were the money man. You did that. So you learned how to kind of talk to the masses. And then when did the podcast start? When did you launch Stacking Benjamin? So uh, we've been podcasting for four years and we didn't start off. We didn't start off with stacking benjamins. I I had a goal, which was a lot of shows are trying to be the last word. A lot of people are trying to be the last word in money. I didn't want to be the last word. I wanted to be car talk. I wanted to be this really casual. I love car talk. I never learn anything about a car listening to car talk. But it's but it's it's auto culture surround sound. And I think if we have more shows that are surround sound and are interested in teaching, maybe people will learn. And you've won all sorts of awards for your podcast. So everybody listening should go subscribe to the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Let me just give you some of the awards that uh, you've won here that Joe's won. Kiplinger's Best of 2016, Entrepreneur, Six Podcasts That Will Make You Richer in 2016, U.S. News & World Report, Top 15 Personal Finance Podcasts, to Pop Sugar, Brush Up, blah, 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 Eight Must Year Podcasts, Forbes, Seven Investing Podcasts, you should download today. So how would you define your audience? Our audience is people that don't want to be preached to. They're smart, educated people. Some of them know money, some of them don't, but they're much more interested in in that surround sound, I think. Like the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because because the big criticism we get about our show is you don't get to enough nuggets, right? I wish you just talked about nuggets. My show's not about- What do you mean? What kind of nuggets? Nuggets like the secrets of the universe. Like I think a lot of people that go to- Right. A lot of people that, that call Jill on money are looking for Jill to solve- every problem in the next 10 minutes right, right? wave your magic wand <laughs> exactly. I, but what is it about your background and your approach that you think is resonating with people who are listening i think it's that i'm a guy who comes from a family where we didn't talk about money i didn't know anything about money when you walk into the room and my parents were talking about money they would tell us to leave uh, the room i went to college and i messed everything up i'm at a military college and i got a credit card like within three weeks american express gave me a credit card I wrecked my credit immediately. Mm. So I'm the guy that's made a lot of the bad mistakes. I've run into a lot of the walls. And when people ask me questions, I've, I've been there. And I, and I know, you know what, they're, what they're going through. But I think the other thing that resonates is the fact that money doesn't have to be this. Everybody's stressed out about money, right? We don't want to talk about it. We think if we don't talk about it, the stress will somehow magically go away. And you and I know, Jill, that if you talk about it more... And if we're open, everybody's making the same dumb mistakes. We're all making, and nobody wants to talk about the mistakes they're making. And when we do, when we do talk about it, that's when I think you open up and the mistakes start to go away. What do you think is encouraging about where we are today in the financial world for consumers? Oh, fintech. 
And I think a lot of people don't realize how sexy, exciting fintech is right now. There are so many people doing so many cool things. I love all of the, the, the mint competitors, you know, I, like they're really pushing mint hard. Some of these things like clarity money, you know, money lion, these guys are doing some pretty exciting things. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much fun stuff there is in money right now. What is it about like the way that money or financial matters are discussed, whether it's podcast, radio, TV, cable? What's the, the side of it that just drives you nuts? Well, from the coming from the financial planning industry side, I can't stand the financial advisors who pretend like they're omniscient and you should hire them because they're going to solve the universe. They're a person who's educated in this particular area. The longer I was a financial planner, the more I had smart people as clients that really could do it themselves, but they needed somebody who was versed in this one area to watch their sheep. I guess is an analogy to be the shepherd for their money, but they're not my sheep. And and I would tell my clients that they're, they're not my sheep. And, and I, I don't like it when an advisor says, hand it to me and go away. And I don't like it when people want to find an advisor to hand it to and go away. The problem now in the world is not that we don't have enough information. Having smart people in your corner to help you get to the right information that helps you that can go through all this noise, I think that's important. But this whole wave of magic wand stuff we've been talking about, that drives me crazy. What is it that you think that people, um, when you get comments or you know you hear from your, your audience, what do you think that they are craving in terms of the financial information that they're receiving right now? Like, what are they not getting and they're finding in you? Or what is it that they want more of, you think? We're chasing something that's very simple and we don't know it. You know this, Jill, that most financial planning comes down to a very simple equation. And it's, we need to save so much money times such a return to get our goal. And we, we get this question, you get this question all the time. And once you have this framework, by the way, it makes everything easier. People say, well, how much money should I save for retirement? What investment should I use? So if I have 15 years to go and I've saved X amount of money and I need, let's say an 8% return to get that goal. Now I know what investments historically have done that. Or if I'm starting with the amount of risk I want to take, you know, okay, I want to take the type of risk where I get 8%. Now we're solving for how much money do I need to save and can I do it? Then it's a budget problem. And it seems like everybody's chasing this equation and nobody knows it. I'm, I'm chasing one part of either how much money do I save? What return do I need and what gets me there? Or what's my goal? Why do you think we're so screwed up about money? Because we don't talk. That's it? Yeah. Like we talk more about sex than money, basically. Yeah. yeah. And when we talk about it, when we talk about it right at a party, we talk about um, all the cool stuff we did with our money or all the uh, keeping up with the Joneses stuff we did. We don't have really, really relaxed, fun conversations about money. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Joe Saul Sehi in just a second. But if you find yourself chasing one of those elusive things in your financial life, chase no more. Check out Betterment, our sponsor. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor. In fact, Betterment's service was designed to help improve your long-term returns and lower your taxes for a variety of financial goals. So when you think about all those things that Joe was just talking about, Betterment kind of covers it. Low fees, personalized advice for your financial planning, 
And not only that, but, you know, helping you realize that tracking your investments is actually pretty easy. You know, it does take some work on your part. You're going to have to still pay attention to your financial life. But just in case, Betterment has experts who also have your back. As your personal investment manager, Betterment does not get commissions for recommending funds. They don't have funds of their own. That means that they do what they believe is right for you. Better Off listeners can get up to six months managed for free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash betteroff. Betterment, rethink what your money can do. And now back to my interview with Joe Saul Sehi of Stacking Benjamins. So when you were a financial advisor, what were some of the mistakes you made? Oh, so um, there, there was one point early in my career, I had some clients that really wanted to do penny stocks. And I thought that would be exciting. And we picked some. And I didn't realize the wild, wild west nature. Because even though they're supposedly regulated, there's nobody to regulate that market. And I had a horrible, horrible time with a client. And these were not trades that I made myself. My client and I were both. Mm-hmm. But, but but I was supposed to be the advisor. And right. I should have I should have turned him off of it. And man, we had this. There, there was a stock. It was a whole pump and dump strategy and there was a huge lawsuit and the company went bankrupt and and I I went right with my client right there that that was a bad one also early on you know um, I think there's times when permanent life insurance makes sense but I found early in my career that permanent life insurance makes sense a lot less than it's used because the commissions over there could be just amazing. So for those of you who are listening, permanent life insurance, which you may have seen as like universal life, variable universal life, whole life. These are policies that you buy that are supposed to stay in place for your entire life. And you know what's funny about that? When I first started as an advisor, we used permanent insurance a lot. The tax law was totally different. So there was a there was actually an interesting tra- tax arbitrage that you could use for yeah. rich clients right. who wanted to save more than what was in a retirement right. account. Tax law changed. And all of a sudden, a lot of those products became less interesting. Right. But I agree. I think I was amazed at how much they were sold even after the point where they were really useful. So that made me sour on the insurance industry quite a bit. And that's a terrible thing. I would say that for me, one of the things that I, the mistake I made was that I would paint with a broad brush sometimes. So I would be like, those guys are all thieves. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's not really fair. I know that now. But like as a kid in the business, I, you know, had this like moral indignation around it. And there are, you're right, there are use cases for it, maybe 5% of the time. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. That, that's okay. Like, you get those 5%, sell it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not this guy that thinks, you know, you hear this all the time, permanent life insurance is bad, don't buy. It isn't bad. I don't think there's a product type that is bad. Wait a minute. I think I do. I do, think do I you disagree. Really? Yeah, I think I disagree. A product type. Because I think okay, they wait have- a second, wait a second. I think we could have a product <laughs> type inside of a specific vehicle. So, Okay. Um, I was going oh. to say, in other words, I was going to say a variable annuity in inside of a retirement account, right? Bam. So that I would say yes. is bad. But the annuity is not bad. Although it is incredibly expensive in most cases. Yeah. That's the problem. Is this your main business? Is this what it you is. do now? It is. You're making a living, right? Yeah. We, we go Life's three good? days a week. Um, you know, it's become good. Once we won some of those awards that somehow p- people seem to like us. You're very self-deprecating in that Midwestern way. I'm over that. I think you're great. 
Just don't even say that. Just just own it, baby. You're All great. Right. You're we are phenomenal. Great, Stacky yeah. Benjamins is an amazing show. It is. It's a great podcast. Yes. You should everyone should download it. And, and it's a. And, I will warn people though, Jill. It is. It is. And and I hope I've said this over. We are incredibly light. It's a an incredibly light show. We're live from my mom's half finished basement, as you know. You yes, came down to the basement. Of course. We. My mom's neighbor Doug is our announcer guy, uh, who always has some get rich quick scheme that fails. All right. Before we let you go, Joe Saul Cihai. You know, we like to kind of finish up with a big question. I think you already did it, though, which is what's your worst financial or money mistake that you've had to endure? I did a little bit. I'll tell you what I did, though. So I'm a brand new financial planner. I had not been in the industry. In fact, the guy that uh, brought me on had this quote. He knew me and he said, quote, we don't normally hire people like you, but I think you'd be really good at this. So not a money guy, not from a money background. So I'm being taught, mostly taught sales. We could have done a whole show about that, right? Not taught financial planning as much as sales. Had to learn that more as I, as I went. But um, I did not know how taxes worked. And I made a lot of money my first year for a first year financial planner. Mm-hmm. I went to a CPA mm-hmm. and I went, you know, three or four weeks before tax deadline day. I hadn't put any money aside. Oh, God. And I got into huge, huge IRS trouble. Uh, so I decided, I decided number one, I wasn't going to file that tax return because that's what you do, right? You don't file the tax return. Well, let's pretend there's no problem. There will not be a Mm -hmm. problem. And so I buried my head Mm -hmm. and then, um, yeah, yeah. So So I I learned how that whole system worked, which was great because you know what I did? I found what, like we talked about earlier, I found good help and I found a woman who held up the mirror and I also thought to myself, I spend every single day working with other people and I've got this little hidden thing back here. Which I was screwing up. That was that. That was bad. Who Who would you love to interview? Who you have not interviewed yet? One. Give me one money person. One non money person. You know, m- money person. I would love to interview Jim Cramer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He and I. <laughs> I I love that look. People can't see the no. look Jill just gave me because I know his wife. So let's not say anything <laughs> mean about him. He was lovely when I met him. I, I he was lovely. He's got a lovely home. It was fantastic. His wife and I were on a charitable committee for something together. So we have a, we have a mutual friend. So he was lovely. Okay, keep going. Well, 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 <laughs> well. And I think he's a. I think he. I think he is a, a wicked smart guy. Yeah. I mean, I think he's an incredibly smart guy. He and I are on total different planes about what we think about with finance. Mm-hmm. Um. But but I, but I would like to talk to him. I okay. think that would be really fun. He's and your finance guy. You want to interview? Yeah, yeah. My non-finance guy. I seriously don't know. What? I seriously. Who's your favorite like musician? Like think about fun people like that. Yeah. Well, hmm. You know who I'd like to talk to? Who? I know who it is. Who? I would like to talk to Lance Armstrong. Mm, okay, I get it. Complicated. It is complicated. What are you, Oprah? No. <laughs> <laughs> and you, if you get him to cry, I'd be into it. And you get to talk to Lance Armstrong, and you get to talk yeah, to Lance exactly. Armstrong, and you get to. Right. I, I think that would be interesting. It would yeah. be an interesting interview because, you know, I think with all of the good stuff that he did for for cancer and cancer research, mm. and when he had his downfall, and you saw, uh, you saw so much money not go towards some pretty important stuff. Uh, I found that throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, yeah. kind of discouraging here's the thing about that guy um did you watch a documentary about him i did it's that was fascinating first of all he's totally like the opposite of self-aware like he is a 
absolutely just like waited till that bitter end. But that said, what fascinates me about him is not so much that like people do bad things all the time and that occurs. He was so mean spirited. Absolutely. And that part of him is like sort of the unconscionable part. It's one thing to be like, I cheated, I cheated, but then to like ruin other people. That was always hard for me. So I had. He's pretty honest about that, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've read a lot of his interviews. Mm -hmm. He's pretty honest about how brutal he was. Yeah. Um, You know, uh, my favorite non-financial interview I've ever done, and I will never match it again, is I interviewed Julie Andrews before a live audience. Did you really? 75 minutes, phenomenal. That's the best ever. 75 minutes with Julie Andrews. Yeah, it was like perhaps the best thing. Maybe Stephen Sondheim, if I could get him in a chair here, that might be like my favorite thing ever, potentially. Not, I don't know, Julie probably wins. I used to think Barbara Streisand, but actually, eh. I mean, I love her, but I don't think it would be a great interview. It, it's it, it's funny because you're going with people who you like and you admire, and I'm going for people that, that in my answers, that there's a little friction there. You yeah. know, there's a difference. There's this little kind yeah. of wall. Between. Yeah, I mean, I've, been, I, I've, I've interviewed a lot of the sort of CEO types, and yeah. I think that the as much as people put on them these personas, by and large, when you're sitting in a room with somebody face to face, it's you know it's it's different, right? It really is. Yes. So Elon gonna, Musk. Elon, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. I'd like to. I'd like to talk to Elon also. Oh, you would. Yeah. I just. It, he's I just like selling to, fantasy. That guy is like better at selling than he's better selling ideas than cars. But it's brilliant. Is it? We'll see. Well, it's brilliant because he. I just listened to uh, in the book Elon Musk, uh, the the audio mm-hmm. uh, book. And it's fascinating. I mean, he's he seems to be, have such an ego, and uh, but 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 when he gets in trouble, he doubles down, and and I think that's I don't know if it's brave or foolish, mm. but but the things that he promises, and then he finds a way to deliver, and he never delivers the way that he thought he would, but when he puts this big idea out there, I mean, I think of what is it? Was it Michelangelo who said something to the effect of it's not about setting the bar too high and not reaching it's that we set the bar way too low. Mm. Um, and I think Elon Musk is this guy that says, no, 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 we're going to Mars. Would you want to interview a politician? No, not really, because I feel like I would get I would get this thing that's not it's like baloney, right? Yeah, it's not real. They're not going to retired politician who's like has truth serum. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> here, 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 drink this before you come on the show, Miss Politician. All right. Well, Joe Saul Sihai, host of Stacking Benjamin's podcast. You can get it wherever you download your podcasts. Friend of the pod here, and thank you so much for joining us at Better Off. You're fantastic. Thanks for being my running buddy, Jill. Oh, it's been great. I and mean, we've logged a lot of miles together. We have. Thanks for coming on the show. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the listener question of the week. Remember, you've got two chances to get on our program every single week. We do the Better Off bonus call of the week on Tuesdays, and then this version after we do the interview. You can reach us very easily. Just email askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. Askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And right now we're going to Ben, who's on the line from Indiana. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Hello, Jill. I want to say, first of all, thank you for all that you do. Uh, I've been a listener ever since the program began, so thank you for your service. I guess I'm calling for two reasons. Uh, One, I've been wrestling with myself for a long time on our retirement asset allocation, and so I was hoping that you could provide some insight on that. Okay. And and then, uh, if you have time, just uh, just kind of give us some feedback on how we're doing as far as our money management practices go, mm-hmm. uh, what we're doing well, and 
Not well, maybe. Let's go from big to little. So first, tell me about yourselves. You said that we. So how old are you and what's up with the spouse? Okay. Um, My wife and I are 40 years old. And um, we've seriously been contributing, I guess, to our retirement probably for the past four years. That's when I really got interested in it. Um, She's in business. I'm a teacher. We're we're making uh, bringing home around one hundred seven thousand a year, and we are maxing out all accounts uh, for retirement that we have. Awesome. Uh, we we have two Roth IRAs. Um, she has a four hundred one k. I have a Roth four hundred three b. And so we're maxing out those accounts. Uh, she is a highly compensated employee, so she's limited mm-hmm. to eight thousand a year. Um, and then outside of that. I mean, we have college funds that we're contributing to as well. Um, How old are your kids? We have ages 8 and 11. Okay. So you got 529 accounts. Are those um, Indiana or are they through another state? They are Indiana. Okay. Got it. So you're you're maxing out both plans. She's limited because she's a highly compensated employee. Your overall game plan is what? Like, you want to make sure you can retire, but do you have a, a date in mind? Age 59 what? or 58. Come right on. Up. That'll be too young. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with well, yourself? Well, we'll find something to do, but, okay. uh, you know, partial retirement. You know, maybe we'll have grandkids by then. Who knows? So. You're going to be <laughs> bored. Forget it. What do you teach? I teach, don't laugh, elementary PE. You know, I want to just say that that is um, probably the best part of elementary school for me, at least. I loved my gym. My gym teacher was Mr. Resnick. I loved him to death. It was like the best. So you must be beloved. That's the thing that's great. Oh, it's the best job in the world. Okay. So do you have a pension plan as well as using that Roth 403B? I do. Mm. uh, We have a combined pension and annuity. Uh, it should produce roughly 28000 upon retirement. That's great. How much do you guys think you need in terms of retirement income? Um, I, I was hoping to have somewhere around eighty to 90000 total annually. And if you were um, to just look at some basic numbers with your pension and future Social Security in 20 years, what do you figure? You got like at least half of that, right? Yes, I, I figure if we get fifty to sixty thousand from our retirement uh, accounts, that would probably be pretty safe. Okay, all right. And how much money do you have saved so far? We're at uh, two hundred and fifteen thousand, I believe. Have you actually run the numbers, or have you have you like kind of gone into this yet, or not? Uh, I've been on several retirement uh, calculators online. I've met with a couple of advisors. It seems to be like we were right there, uh, depending on where you look. Okay. Uh, You know, I'm just going to plug this because our sponsor, uh, Betterment, also has a nice uh, retirement calculator. So check that out. I'm interested to see if if they concur with you. Because I'm looking at this, and uh, and, um, uh, let me just give you the site so you have it. Okay, so that's betterment.com slash retirement. You know, I I think that, I mean, 59 is ambitious. I guess that if you you, you don't have enough save by then, you might be able to do some part-time stuff. I I don't know. But I, I guess that, I just want to put out there that I get that you you save fifty nine. 
I want you to maybe be prepared to kind of let that slide into early 60s or to be prepared to do some sort of part-time work between uh, the age at which, you know, you can tap into your retirement funds, 59 and a half, and the age at which you claim your Social Security benefits. That period of time may be, there may need to be a little extra income coming in. But okay, let's move on. So, so far, so good. Uh, oh, let me ask you some boring financial planning questions, because, you know, when I put my CFP hat on, I have to do this. Um, you sure. guys have wills? Uh, yes. Oh, wait a minute. That was not a resounding yes. That was like, a, uh, we're thinking about it. Do you really have a will? We have one. We've made out. Uh, we got it online. It's not fully through through uh, an accountant. Um, but we haven't actually signed off on it yet. We kind of drug our feet, but it's made out. It just hasn't gone through the signing yet. Okay. Well, so, um, you know what? I like using lawyers who have experience in a state to do this. And so if you wouldn't mind me being a nudge, just do that. Would you please really just, sure. it's, that's a biggie. Uh, actually far more important frankly, than your asset allocation, which I promise I'm going to get to. How about life insurance? You guys have a policy in place? We have uh, term policies, uh, and they should be good for uh, until retirement. Fabulous. 60 or so. Okay. Now, so, I mean, like, generally looks like you're on target. Tell me about the asset allocation and what I need to know about that. Okay. Well, my wife's 401k, She's, she's good. She's got some nice funds in there. Um, we're in Vanguard for our Roth uh, IRAs. And my 403B plan has, has some good funds, not great. And as you're probably aware, 403B plans are a little bit high on the fees. Yes. Um, so I, I've read a lot about index funds. And from my reading, I know it's tough to beat the index. Index funds are the way to go because they're low fees. However, through looking at our funds, this is what I'm wrestling with, the the funds that are in there, despite their high fees, seem to be able to do better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of wrestling with myself there. Do I just go straight index uh, funds or do I look at some of these uh, other funds, even though they might be higher expense ratios? Well, I mean, look, if it's not that much more and you really, you know, you want to get some expertise, there may be a case for that. I was talking actually recently to somebody in the investment management business who who said, you know what, in a, say, a large cap domestic stock fund, chances are the index is going to be fine. But if you're telling me maybe you need some international exposure and that costs a little bit more, that's often where you find some better value for your money. Um, so maybe I, I wouldn't go too crazy with it and also right. know that um, it's just not probably not going to make that big a difference um, in terms of the differential on, you know, the performance and the fees and all of this. I mean, if you're if if you can save yourself, say, one percent a year in fees or three quarters of one percent by using the index and you're saying to me, well, you know, the this guy, the the actual differential is one percent a year, then I would just use the index, make my life easy. But are you right. saying that the the alpha, the the deliverance of performance beyond what the market does is more significant than the than the fee in in the case of these funds? Uh, in a few of them, yes. Now some of them, no. But there's been a handful that uh, 
yeah, from what I can understand, they they do outperform. Okay. Well, I mean, look, if it, and do you mind me asking what the fund families are that we're talking about, and maybe that'll help me guide you a little bit more? Sure. Uh, the the large cap are American funds. I think yeah. American funds are great, by the way. I really do. Oh. It's just that they're really expensive. But once you have yeah. them and you can get into them, those tend to be very well-run funds. Okay. Well, great. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, small cap, there's a, a Goldman Sachs small value. Is there, a, is there a small index fund that you can buy or not? No. Uh, All right, then, buy, actually, then, I, I, then that would be fine. I mean, this is the thing. If there's no index to buy and we have nothing to compare it to, then, then yeah, I would like you to have some small cap exposure. Okay. All right? But if there's, um, you know, sometimes, like, someone will say to me, well, I want, I want small, mid, and large. I'm not a huge mid cap, like, believer, so I tend to just do okay. large and small. And then I will okay. tend to do international and then some emerging. You know, and and that's kind of how I look at that. All right. So in t- okay, so we got the the expense part of it. What about the actual asset allocation? Do you feel comfortable with what you have? Give me a breakdown on what you what, how you're invested currently. Okay, uh, currently I'm at about twenty uh, percent overall of all our retirement accounts. We're about twenty percent international, uh, and then large cap. I think we're sitting in around sixty percent, and. Uh, We'll say that's not right. Fifty percent, and then small cap. I think we're around ten percent, and then bonds were twenty percent. That's pretty good. I mean, you got a pretty aggressive portfolio, but you're forty. You're not twenty, so you know I'm I'm a wimp. All right, everyone listening, yeah. I'm coming out of the closet as a wimp. Even if you said to me, "We're really aggressive. We can hang in there. We're not going to freak out when things go wrong," I would tend to be more like an eighty twenty kind of person. Um, so okay. I would probably push a little bit more money into the bonds, um, and I would have that, you know, maybe come out of the large cap, you know, maybe some out of the international, um, you know. Okay. But that that's a bit, but it's pretty close, you know. I and um, you know, obviously, as you get older, you and you need the money as you approach the period of time when you actually are going to withdraw money then you'll need to kind of rejigger the allocation. So, you know, just check in with it, make sure you feel comfortable, and uh, choose auto-rebalance as much as you can in in any of these. Okay. On our Vanguard allocation, I've gone straight Wellington Fund, just Mm -hmm. for simplicity. Yeah, it's easy. Is is that too conservative, you feel? No. I mean, especially relative, because isn't it like, what, like 70-30 or 65-35-ish? Yes. Yeah, that's fine. All right, what else do I need to know about you guys? We should, within the next three years, have uh, our mortgage paid off. And Why are you going to pay off your mortgage? Wait a minute. Why are you paying off your mortgage so fast? What's the interest rate? Uh, the interest rate is 4125 It's not so bad. But uh, is the reason you're doing that because you're maxing out your retirement accounts right now and you have nowhere else to put your money? No. Well... The way we did it, we, we recently had a move about three years ago, and we had, had that mortgage paid off. Oh. So when we moved, we transferred. We took out a big HELOC and put down a large lump sum on this mortgage. We, we aggressively paid it off, um, I guess, last year. We've kind of backed down, but even making minimum payments, we're still only looking at three and a half years. All right. Just make your regular payments. Don't go crazy. And what about the uh, 529s? How much money's in those? Uh, 32000 each, and we're thinking within three years we'll be able to kind of just put those in 
a very conservative yeah. allocation and just let them ride. Right. I love it. And your kids are all, you know, probably both of them are geniuses, so you won't even need the money. So that's good. You'll be able to get a graduate degree when you're 59 years old. That might be something to work towards. That sounds great. You're in good shape, Ben, from Indiana. I want to thank you so much for calling. Give us a holler back if you uh, get more index funds and you want to float some more ideas by us, okay? Okay. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Take care, buddy. You too. Bye. Thanks to Joe Saul Sihai of the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Don't forget, we've got our bonus episode that comes out on Tuesdays and the longer form every single Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag BetterOff. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. That's Ask Jill at BetterOffPodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week. <laughs>